Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the November edition of the Crestone Eagle. My name is Paula Vaughn. We will actually start with news from the Crestone Eagle website. It's election news. Liza Marone wins election as Swatch County Commissioner. Democrat Liza Marone has been elected as Swatch County Commissioner, defeating Republican challenger Jeff Phillips. According to unofficial results from the Colorado Secretary of State, Marone received 1,414 votes and Phillips got 1,274 votes. In response to this news, Marone issued the following statement. Election night reporting is complete for Sawatch County, and due to my win, Sawatch County will have its first majority woman board of commissioners ever. Thank you to my honorable competitor, Jeff Phillips, for a fine race. I will start my tenure as commissioner as a learner and listener. I want to be the best steward of county government and Sawatch County constituents' resources as I can be, along with my two more seasoned commissioners. This is a bittersweet honor in my life, as this means I have to let go of the leadership of the San Luis Valley Local Foods Coalition. We all want this organization to thrive into the future, and towards that end, our board and staff, with the support of Civic Canopy, are working diligently on our transition leadership plan. However, I plan to remain in a support role for about 15 hours per week come January. I am feeling gratitude for the vote of confidence for a new chapter in my life serving my home community. I am feeling equal gratitude for the amazing people of the San Luis Valley who have worked in partnership to foster an equitable local food system here. Thank you all for the part you play in our community to enhance our collective well-being. And in the November print edition of the Crestone Eagle in front page room uh, news, Environmentalists celebrate setback in proposed Wolf Creek development. Last month, the village at Wolf Creek, a development proposal for the construction of several thousand housing units, suffered a setback in federal court. U.S. District Judge Christine M. Argeo upheld a a prior ruling which said that the U.S. Forest Service did not consider important aspects of the issues before them. The 300-acre resort is proposed for an inholding of land adjacent to the Wolf Creek Ski Area within the Rio Grande National Forest at an elevation of over 10,000 feet in Mineral County, which has a population of about 865 people. Since 1986, Texas billionaire Red McCombs has been attempting to develop the resort without success. And a corresponding article Court again rejects village at Wolf Creek development proposal. This was written by the San Luis Valley Ecosystem Council. Last month, a federal district court once again rejected plans by the would-be developers of the village at Wolf Creek to gain access across national forest lands for the project. Senior federal judge Christine M. Argeo invalidated the Rio Grande National Forest approval from 2019, which granted an access road across the national forest in order to facilitate development of the massive real estate development proposed atop Wolf Creek Pass. 
The court's order was issued in response to a lawsuit filed by a consortium of conservation groups consisting of Rocky Mountain Wild, San Luis Valley Ecosystem Council, San Juan Citizens Alliance, and Wilderness Workshop. This is tremendously good news for anyone who values the remote character of Wolf Creek Pass, said San Juan Citizens Alliance Executive Director Mark Pearson. We've never seen an honest evaluation of the environmental impacts of constructing a city of 8,000 people at over 10,000 feet atop one of the snowiest locations in Colorado, probably because the impacts would be staggering, he said. For decades, Billy Joe Red McCombs, a developer from San Antonio, Texas, has pursued his vision for a city of 8,000 people at the top of Wolf Creek Pass. This massive development would be roughly equivalent to the population of Aspen. The Levitt-McCombs joint venture obtained ownership of 300 acres of national forest land via a land exchange in 1986, a deal that was originally rejected by the U.S. Forest Service until political pressure overruled the common-sense denial. A seasonal national forest road provides access to the inholding of Highway 160 for, quote, reasonable use and enjoyment, end quote. However, the plans for 1,700 housing units and large-scale commercial development has led developers to pursue unlimited access. Located 20 miles from the nearest town, Wolf Creek Pass is a remote location with a low-key ski area and little nighttime traffic. Construction of the village at Wolf Creek would dramatically impact the entire region by disrupting key movement corridors and habitat for a threatened species of lynx, drastically increase traffic, and permanently change the character of the separately owned Wolf Creek ski area. For 20 years, community groups have waged unrelenting opposition to the development, repeatedly scoring legal victories against the Forest Service, which continually approved various development schemes. Most recently, in 2019, from closed-door meetings with the developer, the Forest Service approved an access road, using the exact same environmental impact statement that was rejected by senior federal judge Richard Match in 2017. The Forest Service's reliance on the rejected 2015 environmental impact statement for its 2019 road access decision was the basis for the court's decision. Thus, USFS frustrated the purpose of NEPA by continuing to rely upon an uninformed federal environmental impact statement to issue the 2019 ROD. Travis Stills is an attorney with Energy and Conservation Law, a Durango-based law firm representing the conservation's groups. The ruling once again confirms the failure by the Forest Service to appropriately follow the National Environmental Policy Act and rigorously assess the true consequences of this inappropriate development, says Stills. The order also, continue, or also recognizes the internal debate among staff of the Forest Service and Fish and Wildlife Service about how to lawfully implement their environmental mandates, he said. Development efforts toward the village at Wolf Creek span at least 20 years, dating to an environmental review process which began in 2002. The Forest Service's review has been marked by numerous lawsuits aimed at gaining transparency about the project's impacts. We are still waiting for the U.S. Forest Service, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and other federal agencies to conduct an open, transparent, and inclusive analysis of the environmental impacts associated with this enormous commercial development, said Rocky Mountain Wild Legal Director 
Matt Sandler. The court's ruling is a huge win for the wildlife and wildlands of Wolf Creek Pass, he said. Opponents of the proposed development view the idea of a city atop Wolf Creek Pass as irresponsible and unsafe due to its remote location and lack of available services. Additionally, the location lacks adequate utilities, disrupts important wildlife corridors, and will vastly increase traffic levels, all while ignoring the potential health impacts to thousands of visitors from lower elevations trying to sleep above 10,000 feet. This is such a critical decision for the headwaters of the Rio Grande. The Wolf Creek area simply cannot handle any more large-scale development pressure, said San Luis Valley Ecosystem Council Director Christine Canale. The river's water delivery obligations must focus on the needs of the basin. Perhaps climate reality and this vital legal decision will stimulate much-needed sobriety to the Levitt-McCombs joint venture team, and we can finally come together to align goals that embrace the living landscape, she said. The group's pledged continued scrutiny of any further attempts to resuscitate the failed proposal and continued insistence on the Forest Service's compliance with its legal obligations. This article is a press release from the San Luis Valley Ecosystem Council. And we have a corresponding article from Jason Blevins of the Colorado Sun. Wolf Creek Village Plan Loses Third Legal Fight for Access Road Atop Wolf Creek Pass. Texas billionaire Red McCombs has spent 36 years vying for access to a 300-acre inholding on Wolf Creek Pass where he plans a resort village for 10,000 residents. A federal judge has rejected Forest Service approval of an access road to a billionaire's proposed village atop Wolf Creek Pass. The decision last month is the third rejection for Texas investor Red McCombs, who has spent 36 years trying to develop a highly controversial village on about 300 isolated acres in the Rio Grande National Forest adjacent to the Wolf Creek Ski Area. Environmental groups have fought for decades to block McCombs' vision for as many as 8,000 units in a mountaintop resort. In 2019, the forest supervisor approved an access road to the inholding of private land, ruling the agency was required to provide quote-unquote adequate access under the 1980 Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act. And a consortium of environmental groups, including Rocky Mountain Wild, San Juan Citizens Alliance, the San Luis Valley Ecosystem Council, and Wilderness Workshop, sued to overturn the 2019 approval that would have launched development of the village after more than 20 years of environmental review and courtroom battles. U.S. District Judge Christine M. Argale on Thursday, confirmed an earlier ruling that the Forest Service failed to consider important aspects of the issues before them, offered an explanation for their decision that runs counter to the evidence, failed to base their decision on consideration of the relevant factors, and based their decision on an analysis that is contrary to the law. Environmental groups hailed the decision. We've never seen an honest evaluation of the environmental impacts of constructing a city of 8,000 people at over 10,000 feet atop one of the snowiest locations in Colorado, probably because the impacts, if revealed, would be staggering, Mark Pearson, executive director at San Juan Citizens Alliance, said in a statement.
McCombs, who built an empire of car dealerships and media properties in Texas in the 1960s and 70s, swapped 1,631 acres of land he owned in Sawatch County for 300 acres of Forest Service land at the top of Wolf Creek Pass in 1986. The next year, he began work on an easement across Forest Service land from US 160 that would allow access to his island of private land on the pass. In 2000, Mineral County approved development of a 10,000-bed village with 500,000 square feet of commercial space. Environmental groups sued and, after lower court decisions rejecting the approval, the Colorado Court of Appeals in 2007 overturned the county approval. In 2010, McCombs proposed swapping some of his acres for Forest Service land that would allow for road access to the proposed village. In 2015, after several years of environmental review, the Forest Service approved a plan to allow access to the village. Environmental groups sued over the approved land exchange, arguing the Forest Service did not study the future effects of the land exchange on the environment and wildlife, including the endangered Canada lynx. A federal court agreed with the environmental groups and blocked the land exchange. McCombs appealed the decision. During the appeal, McCombs asked the Forest Service to approve an, adjust, an adjusted plan for an access road, which the agency approved in 2019, saying the new plan fixed the problems with the 2015 land exchange. The environmental groups sued the Forest Service again, this time over the 2019 approval of a right-of-way allowing the access road. Their argument was the same. The agency granted access for a massive resort development without considering or taking the steps necessary to reduce or eliminate impacts to, to the surrounding National Forest System lands. A similar proposal is under review in the Eagle River Valley above Edwards. A Florida developer is seeking Forest Service approval for a road to access an island of private land on top of the mountain where 19 luxury homes are planned. The developer also is arguing the agency must provide a way to cross federal land to the 600-acre inholding under ANILCA and its requirement for adequate access so landowners can enjoy reasonable use of their property. Judge Argeo ruled that the Forest Service should not have relied on its flawed and legally deficient 2015 Environmental Review of Wolf Creek Village to make its 2019 access decision. She ruled both the 2019 right-of-way decision by the Forest Service, just like the agency's 2015 approval of the land exchange, was arbitrary and capricious. Clint Jones, who has shepherded the Wolf Creek Village plans for the now 95-year-old McCombs, has spent the last three years waiting for a decision on the 2019 Forest Service access decision. He said the redevelopment's legal team is going through the ruling and planning a meeting with the Forest Service to determine our next steps. Now changing topics, San Luis Valley Network supports all Valley food banks. This is written by Courtney Crow. Kerrig. Food bank volunteers around the San Luis Valley serve anywhere from a handful to hundreds of people every week. All share a commitment to serve the less fortunate among us. My partner Jules and I were privileged to attend the recent second annual food bank summit at Rio Grande Farm Park in Alamosa. The event, sponsored by the Food Bank Network of the San Luis Valley, was a celebration of volunteer efforts at all 15 Valley food banks and an opportunity for volunteers to meet, to share, to connect, and to learn from one another's experiences. 
As volunteers for numerous very different food banks and food justice projects over many years, Jules and I are always interested in the diverse and creative ways to address needs of different communities. Network Director Annalise Baer stressed that the organization, a nonprofit La Puente program, is there to help its members connect with local and regional food sources and to offer support with complex problem solving and conflict resolution. Crisis Prevention Resources, another La Puente program, is available to provide member food banks with emergency survival backpacks for families experiencing homelessness. Member food banks adhere to the network's policy that anyone needing help to afford adequate food is eligible for services from one, but only one, food bank in the network. Otherwise, Valley Food Banks operate independently and according to diverse schedules and methods of distribution. The Alamosa Food Bank, for example, is open mornings five days a week. The Del Norte Food Bank is open once a month. Some food bank spaces are no more than donated closets. Many have no refrigeration or freezers, requiring that many food items be distributed immediately upon delivery. All food banks are run by wonderful, dedicated people, each community's local equivalent of Marge Hoglin and Joe Buckley in Crestone, who volunteer their time, sweat, stress, and worry, who do far more behind-the-scenes work than is recognized, who know that three hours of successful weekly food bank distribution is the culmination of weeks of physical labor, coordination, and planning. Some of that planning focuses on safety concerns, a heated topic during the network meeting, and no longer just a hypothetical concern. It was impressive that all voices were encouraged and heard in this setting, and again, participants demonstrated unity in the greater goals of feeding and supporting our communities, even when specific approaches diverge notably. At this meeting, Jules and I reaffirmed our support of the Crestone Food Bank as an amazing, community-minded collaboration, unique in the amount of volunteer and community support it receives. Despite many differing idea ideas and opinions, the people of Crestone have found avenues to sustain our local food bank, really coming together in time of such extreme need since the start of the pandemic. And of course, Marge and Joe's leadership and direction have truly united the Crestone community, creating a safe and welcoming space for folks of all ages and backgrounds. Their management has worked magic in keeping shelves stocked with healthy food during the worst of recent times, not to mention doing so with ongoing supply chain issues. As you may know, the Crestone Food Bank is still working to find its appropriate next home. The search and eventual move may require additional costs and or additional volunteer support. Please stay tuned as we will be asking for more specific support to ensure that we don't have to miss a week of food for our community. Whether you or your neighbor have ever needed some extra food support, whether your political or spiritual affiliations align with the next person you pass in town, we can all be creative and supportive to make the tough times a little better together. And we have this article written by Daniel S. Johnson, Fighting Fire with Fire. Fighting fire with fire has become a metaphor for standing firmly against some wrongdoing, but it originated from the firefighting world and is based in a time 
time-proven technique to remove fuels in the path of an oncoming wildfire. Historically, intentional burning has been employed to remove crowding of saplings and the tangle of standing and downed trees and branches by many indigenous tribes worldwide. By burning forests and grasslands when conditions are less volatile, such as in the autumn, nomadic people prevented many devastating fires in the summer months and found they could return to an area they had previously inhabited to find healthy forests with more forage and better hunting. Prescribed fires are based in the wisdom of these tribes and try to reestablish the balance between good fire to aid forest health and bad fire which can cause destruction of the soil and foul waterways for decades. Although the public mostly hears about the rare escaped fire which causes unintentional destruction, 98% of prescribed fires successfully bring forests back to a more natural balance after a century of full fire suppression has caused overgrowth and unhealthy forests. Remember the fire triangle, which consists of heat, fuels, and oxygen. Take away one of these three ingredients stops the taking away one of these three ingredients stops the process we know as fire. Since there isn't a way to deliver enough water to extinguish huge megafires, smaller intentional fires have been used extensively to remove fuels to halt the progress of unwanted wildfires in tactics known as backfiring and burnouts. It is these tactical firing operations that were taught in the S-219 Wildland Firefighting class taught to Baca Grand Firefighters this past month. Kevin, Popeye, McConaughey, and I taught the NWCG developed class to eight qualified firefighters and a couple of folks looking for more knowledge of the techniques. This is part of a training push part which parallels the dispatch of BACA personnel to large federal project fires where they have the best on-the-job training experience possible and bring home a large paycheck. Previously, the department had reached a high level of efficiency and qualifications in the 1990s and early 2000s before issues on the board of directors led to a total collapse of the program. At one point, there were only enough firefighters to each drive an engine, but no one to man the pumps. I heard locals lament, we don't have a fire department anymore. But now, the fire department has resurrected. With two major grants supporting firefighters with jobs in fire prevention, they can focus on hiring new recruits and raising the qualifications of those who have been holding down the fort. The present Property Owners Association, POA, board is very supportive and trying to get back to sustainable funding options to keep this level of expertise and maintain the equipment. Most folks who move to the area are amazed at the services they receive for around $50 per month in POA dues, especially if they've lost previous homes to wildfires. For a free FireWise hazard assessment of your home, call 719 480 9764 to get on the waiting list. And taking a look at the calendar, Monday, November 14th, proposed Town of Baca Grand Meeting via Zoom at 4 p.m. Tuesday, November 15th, Rumi Study Circle, 4 to 6 p.m. All are welcome. Ours is an open inquiry into the Mathnawi, Rumi's six-volume collection that weaves together Sufi philosophy, folk stories, and Quranic references. Wednesday, November 16th, Crestone Charter School Governing Council Meeting at Crestone Charter School from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. Thursday, November 17th, Leonid's Meteor Shower, Look Up in the Dark Night Sky. Friday, November 18th, Local Author Joni Franks at the Baca Grand Library at 5.30 p.m.
Saturday, November 19th, San Luis Valley Local Foods Coalition Summit at Center United Methodist Church, 387 South Broadway Street in Center at 12 p.m. Please RSVP on the web at www.slvlocalfoods.org. And on Sunday, November 20th, Community Thanksgiving Feast at T Road Brewing in Crestone from 1 to 5 p.m. On Monday, November 21st, proposed Town of Baca Grand Meeting via Zoom at 4 p.m. For more information, visit the website www.townofbacagrand.info. And on Wednesday, November 23rd, we have a new, a new moon. If looking ahead to Friday and Saturday, November 25th and 26th, the Creed Chocolate Festival at Creed. For more information, visit the website www.creed.com slash chocolate festival. And that's all we have time for today. Thank you for joining us for the Crestone Eagle. My name is Paula Vaughn. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.